0: TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness. Professor Richard Wolf. Silicon Valley Bank bailout crisis. Jordan Sheraton asks Professor Wolf, is this crisis contained or will it spread? They spoke on March 15 when the news broke that Silicon Valley Bank was to receive a bailout. Richard Wolf is Professor of Economics Emeritus, University of Massachusetts Amherst, and the founder of Democracy at Work and host of their nationally syndicated show, Economic Update.
1: Glad to have you. Can you just describe what led to the Silicon Valley Bank um, bailout?
2: Okay, very quickly with this preface. What happened to the Silicon Valley Bank, and likewise to the Signature Bank in New York City, the crisis is at its early stages. Absolutely no one knows how bad this is, how deep into the banking sector it reaches. Moody's Investor Services, one of the oldest and most respected evaluators of the credit worthiness downgraded to negative the entire banking sector of the United States. That was literally uh, not that many minutes ago that it was released. The reason I stress is if you hear someone telling you this has been contained, that's silly. No one can know that. I can't tell you it isn't contained, but no one else can tell you it is. It's very early. It's unclear how bad this will get and how long it will last. But it affects all the banks in this country, some more, some less. Okay, basically, here is what it is. These are commercial banks. That means what they do is very simple. Money coming in is called deposits. Individuals put them in there. uh, Businesses put them in there. The bank pays very little for those deposits. It tells you that they'll be safe in their hands and that you'll get a monthly statement telling you what's happened to them, going up, down, whatever. They then take your deposited money and they invest that money. They try to get the highest rate of return they can because that maximizes the spread between the little they have to pay to get the deposit and what they can get by lending out your money. A small amount of bank capital is what the bank owners have to put in to get the game, play this game. It's just a little, and it's meant to be, a, a you know, a reserve in case things don't go well. Because obviously, if you've invested the depositor's money, you've got a problem if a lot of depositors suddenly want their money back because you've
1: invested it. And the, and the investment is loans mortgages etc
2: that's right basically these three to any company to do business you make a loan to homeowners who want to buy a home because in the United States most homeowners cannot afford to buy the home they have to buy it on time so they go and get another kind of loan which happens to have for historical reasons the name mortgage attached to it but they can also provide the money behind your credit card. They can do what's called consumer loans as well. One of the other things important in this case is that they can buy government bonds. So for example, if over the last six months the average cost of a deposit was half of 1%, you could during that time lend to the federal government and you could get 3 4%. So if you're dealing in billions of dollars, this is millions and millions, uh, and there's no risk, it was thought, because you got the backing of the United States government to pay back the bond. That's a debt to the, of the government. And you have your depositors, and you kind of know what they do take money out, put money in. Over the last six or eight months, two things happened, which every banker has learned in the first semester of whatever education they got. And given my experience with American bankers, The phrase, not the sharpest knife in the drawer, (laughs) applies. Anyway, I'm trying to be polite. Over the last six months here in the United States, high tech sector has been particularly badly hit with hundreds of thousands of people laid off by all the big names, you know, Apple, Cisco, Intel, Google, all of them, many of them in the Silicon Valley. They banked, many of them, at Silicon Valley Bank, which means that as the companies were having the difficulties that led them to lay off hundreds of thousands of people, they had less money as companies to move in and out of banks. Meanwhile, hundreds of thousands of people who had incomes, big ones in many cases, because they're pretty well paid, those folks, they weren't putting money into their account because they were fired right and because they were fired they also couldn't make their mortgages on the very expensive housing in that part of the country that meant that the bank was aware that their deposit base was shrinking and you never know how fast that goes meanwhile their loans were in trouble mortgages that they had lent out if they had them. i hadn't looked at their balance sheet They knew people were in trouble to pay off their mortgages. They knew it across the board. But the thing they knew best was they had bought government bonds, US government bonds. The way that works is when interest rates go up, the price of the bond goes down. That's just the arithmetic of how it's done. They know that. Everybody in this business knows that. But that meant they were in a one-two punch squeeze. Their deposits were shrinking and people were having to pull deposits out because they were living off their deposited money and their investments were going bad. By a peculiarity of the regulations in this country, and that's a polite way of saying the success of the banks in getting regulations reduced meant that the bank is allowed to show on its balance sheet the price it paid for the bond, not what you could get for that bond if you had to sell it. That's called mark-to-market, when the bond is adjusted for what it's really worth right now. They didn't have
1: to do that legal, and so they didn't. So for the simpleton, if the interest rates go up, the value of the bond goes down.
2: Right. So they needed the bonds at the real full value they wished in order to pay off their depositors, but they didn't have it. Now the bank is squeezed. It then made a a tactical mistake. It tried to get more capital. It tried to sell shares in the market to get that money as a kind of extra cushion, hoping to navigate this bad period. Maybe interest rates would come down. Maybe uh, high tech would start hiring again. You know, the way people who are driven to profit have to convince themselves, give me this another six weeks, give me another, another two months or something. But everybody who knows this game understood what they were doing. They were desperate. They didn't have the money to cover. So they were about to sell shares to to Harry and Mary uh, across the street. And then then everybody said, oh, my God. Last point. If you're a commercial entity, you can't get multiple accounts at a bank. So if you're doing business at Silicon Valley Bank, your first $250,000 is insured but nothing beyond that. Many of these startups raise millions of dollars and stick them in the bank because they need them all the time. There was never a problem before, but technically it's uninsured. Something like 80 or 90 percent of Silicon Valley's deposits were not insured. That meant that the minute there was a doubt, all the little startups realized they could lose everything. They would have to shut down, I'm talking, next week. So for them this was not an abstract idea their financial advisor told them we're about to be wiped out the bank can't cover we're only insured for 250,000 out of the 10 million we've raised to to work the next 2 years by which time we'll come through with the medical invention or the technical invention and suddenly they're confronted with collapse so they run to the bank trying to get the money out of these uninsured thereby putting the pressure on the bank and the bank then has to sell the depressed value bonds and there's another wrinkle in the law they have to let everybody know that they're doing that that's a little thing in there and so it collapsed i mean no mystery uh i want to stress capitalism is an unstable system that's why it has crashes every four to seven years we've had three in the first 23 years of this right on target four to seven is the average we're, we're a little over seven so with 2000 crash 2008 crash 2020 crash and in, unless we're very careful we're going to have number four in 24 years this year so right we have these bank crashes all the time some of them are short and shallow others of them are long and deep no one knows at the outset what it's going to be like. Therefore, everybody like Moody's is in a panic because the question really is how many banks in this country are in more or less comparable circumstances. The bank in New York Signature wasn't involved with high-tech startups. It was involved in the crypto market well that's even crazier than high-tech california so of course they are lost deposits are disappearing and the value of crypto from one day to the next you know it's, it's lunacy what that's going on. anyone in their right mind who does that isn't anyway right. uh but we don't know what else is happening for right. example a bunch of banks on the west coast have been dipping into the high tech cuz very profitable the loans you so we don't know how many of them they have how how bad have their deposits we allow and maybe this is the biggest point jordan we know that the money system of our country is crucial to everyone we get paid in a wage we take that money and buy the groceries we need to survive money makes the capitalist world go round we allow this which we need as a society to be handled as a private profit business by banks and if you talk to bank executives they may not be the sharpest knives in the drawer but this they know my career in this bank or any other bank will be measured by how profitable i made the bank in which i worked right if the profit goes up my credentials get better So I'm in business to make profit. That's what my shareholders want. That's why they hired me. That's what I'm going to do. Is it my job to worry about my actions impacting the larger society? I don't know. I don't care. I don't have the means to figure it out, let alone to adjust my policy. I'm working 24-7 to improve the profit. So, of course, when they saw everything I've just described happening, the executives of all these banks they kept it to themselves they thought they could weather the storm they could find another solution they could go partner with another bank that would lend them they tried by the way most or all of those things and got turned down by other banks who figured out i know why you're here i'm not getting near you with a 10-foot pole because you're scared right that's all of that is factored in but you have to ask why would a society that understands the interconnectedness of all of it, allow a part of it, as important as money, to be handled by people who don't know or care about the larger issues of that money system, who are in it to make a bit more money for a group of guys in Silicon Valley.
1: Let me also ask you, do I have it right that, in one end, you have 40 to 50% of the inflation as a result of corporate greed and corporate price gouging and then pretty much the same category of people that are doing the corporate price gouging are then running for a bailout while feigning about you know a free market do i have that correct boy do you and please remember your wisdom next fourth of july is not that far
2: away these same persons i'm being polite will give their usual 4th of July speech to the Rotary Club and they will extol the free market, which has never existed on this planet. And the government is a burden and the government is inefficient. And and the minute their private profit-driven system falls apart, who do they call? You keep putting down the agency that in fact you turn to. Look what we're doing. For 10 years, this bank was very profitable. And they kept the profits for themselves. Now they're a disaster, threatening to take the system down, forcing the system, like a blackmail, to come in and bail them out. Since you brought up inflation, just to give you an idea of the absurdity of of all of this, we've had the crash of 2020, we've had the pandemic of 2020-2021, As if those things weren't bad enough, it's followed by an inflation. And as if that weren't bad enough, it's followed by raising interest rates. This is a herky-jerky reaction to a system that is out of control. And now we discover that raising interest rates drives down the value of the bonds, which plunges our banking sector into something Moody's calls negative outlook. Whoa! right? I'm in the position of trying to explain to those that I speak with, and I'm I'm appreciative that there are quite a few now. That's our system. Our system is in terrible shape. If you want to do something about an inflation, you do not do what the Federal Reserve did over the weekend, announce a term loan facility. Well, that's fancy jargon for, and they use this word, limitless amount of money we will loan to any bank that says they're having trouble restoring the the deposits of people who want them back. What? That's a waterfall of money into an inflation? Uh This is when the cure for disease two is going to worsen disease one, and you're scrambling around trying to do that you can't put a working class and that's the maybe the ultimate is you cannot put a working class through a sequence closely one after the other of body blows to their economic and financial well-being you're going to drive them crazy that's what's happened in other societies and we see craziness across our society look at our political language you know we hate each other we beat each other up every way we can We're killing one another and wrecked between the opioids and the the crazies with the guns. Whoa, how many more signs? And let me give you a last one, Tom, because this has not been understood in the media. For 75 years, since the end of the Second World War, people around the world have judged that the United States is the safest, securest place to park your wealth. If you're a wealthy African or Asian or Latin American or European, You don't have a government as totally committed to capitalism. You don't have a society where the only two major political parties vie with one another to be more supportive to capitalists. I mean, this is the place to be. So if you're a foreigner, we tell a joke here in New York City. If you walk down Fifth Avenue at night, it's dark. Why? Because all those fancy apartments are owned by people in other countries who visit once a year for two weeks. They don't have the apartment because they want to have an apartment. They're parking their money, watching it go up in value nicely over the time. But meanwhile, it's away from any dangerous developments in their own society. This last week afforded them a very startling contrast here in the United States with the shootings and the war in Ukraine, violence and military war. And then we see on the television, the People's Republic of China bringing together Shiite and Sunni Islam, which was at its others' throats for a decade, Iran and Saudi Arabia making peace, exchanging ambassadors, ending their conflict probably means the end of the war in Yemen uh, pretty soon and so forth. And so the contrast, peace, prosperity, growth, China has been growing for the last 30 years, three times the rate of the United States. I'm no enthusiast about China. They have loads of problems. That's not the point. But economically, the rest of the world is watching this. They're going to pull their money out of the United States. Not all of it, but they're going to say, woohoo, we better spread our risk. This is a society experiencing extreme economic instability, and that's not where we want our money.
1: I know I got to let you go but doesn't this set up the precedent for at this point if any bank fails the FDIC has to bail them out you just insured 100% of the money so if another bank fails how how would the government or the FDIC say well no you're an exception you're on your own
2: right you know in economics this is sometimes called moral hazard the government has just said well we have a pretense mm, your deposits are insured they're not insured Boom. That's no longer the case. Everything is insured. You know, they're desperate. The socialization of the costs of capitalism versus the privatization of the profits. This is a system which requires the government to save us from how capitalism works. When President Biden at his uh, press conference two days ago looked at, at the reporters whose questions he didn't answer and said as if he were rebuking them, well, that's how capitalism works you betcha and that's a very dangerous scary answer because it's as close as we get in this country to beginning to ask the question is there something wrong with the system should we maybe stop fixing it over here fixing it over there fix it and realize we got to deal with a more deep difficulty that for me allowing a private bank driven by profit to have the position in society that we give them, it's crazy. It's been crazy. We just had the second worst collapse of our economic system in 2008 and nine. That's not ancient history. Here we are again wondering, like we did throughout the second half of 2007, for those that can remember every politician assured us it's contained we have it don't worry it's an island bush and then obama i mean for god's sake are we going to do it all again as if it never happened have we all erased our memories of of what kind of volatility and vulnerability it's going to take years to overcome this the whole startup sector in this country one of the dynamic growth areas of the american economy high-tech startups we don't have that much in our economy anymore that's one of the shining success we just delivered a massive body blow to them how many uh, engineers are going to stay in california when there are no jobs there they're leaving Some of them are going back to the countries they came from. I mean, the the consequences of all of this, how this plays out, nobody can tell you, but it is very serious. And it is sparked by allowing a dozen banks to make private, literally enough people to get in the room you're sitting in, making a decision that changes the world economic. That's crazy. That, that, That is a crazy quality that we have to face or else But one more thing after every crisis we make reforms and in the reforms we pass regulations the banking industry after each one fights like crazy blocks delays and weakens whatever reforms we get and when we get the final weakened version they then go to work to repeal to amend to weaken let me read to you the testimony to congress of silicon valley bank president greg becker he's pushing for a reduction in the regulations that his kind of bank is subject to what i call mid-level or regional banks and he makes an argument it's not worth repeating but i want to hear the words at the end we deserve these why here come his words given the low risk profile of our activities. (laughs) You don't have to work. There's no risk. The low risk, you should reduce regulations. And of course, the pliant Republicans and Democrats did that. And now we have the low risk. Turns out, low risk, high risk. It's what you say to Congress. And then when you really mess up, the same government comes in, and bails you out. The same government that says we cannot forgive the loans students took out to become educated Americans and to thereby enhance the contribution they can make to society because they've been educated. We're not going to forgive their loan. But that bank, which can't cover because of its horrible investment program and lack of understanding. They are threatening, oh, oh, that we can help them. We have, I quote, limitless term loan for any bank that screwed up. Whoa, the students didn't screw up. They haven't asked to be helped because they made a mistake, because what they do threatens the country. Nothing. They borrowed money and got an education. There's their crime. They don't get, we we have to be, we can't do that, said President Biden. But it didn't take him but a few hours to bail out the banks.
1: Well, ironically, that same CEO who said, uh, no risk here, uh, sold 3.5 million in shares uh, just two weeks before the collapse. So would you look at that?
2: Yes, I'm sure some people will ask him. It's also, you know, it's so much to say. It's disingenuous, I'm being polite again to say that this is not going to cost the taxpayer. You don't know that. The fact that you're using FDIC funds to bail out the insured policy, that's nice. First of all, FDIC funds come from a tax on banks. And you know what the banks do with that tax? They pass it on to you and me in the fees we pay to the bank for everything that we do. So if they have to get the banks more, that's going to be like a tax on us. If the inflation lasts longer or goes worse because they're flooding the economy with money into the banks, who's going to suffer? The rest of us, because we don't have the extra money that the higher prices are going to take out of us. But most important, we don't know what the ramifications are going to be. What other banks are going to collapse? What communities are going to go bankrupt and have to go to the government? What local communities are really hit by this are going to have to go to the state or the federal to get help? And that comes out of taxes. So when Mr. Biden says it will not affect the taxpayer, he can't know that. No, I can't tell you it will, but he can't tell you it won't. That's just lying because we don't know what the ramifications are. and. In the end you can bet they'll be there although i can't tell you when and i can't tell you which particular ones and the solution will include nine times out of ten taxes so in the end yeah you will be paying more taxes because that's going to be how the system tries to cope with what is now revealed and by the way nothing i'm telling you changes if over the next two weeks everything kind of stabilizes. All that means is the government got us through this crisis, but none of the underlying conditions have changed. None. We still are leaving the banks in the hands of profit-driven executives who will be taking risks with the depositor's money, and if the situation changes again for n different reasons, we'll be back having this same conversation one more time.
1: Thank you very much, Professor Richard Wolf.
2: My pleasure, and thank you for having programs like this. They're more needed in America than ever, ever before. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that.
0: That was the reporter, Jordan Sheraton, on Status Quo News. They feature in field and investigative reporting. Richard Wolf is a visiting professor in the Graduate Program in International Affairs of the New School University, New York City. He is the founder of Democracy at Work and host of their nationally syndicated show, Economic Update. Find the interview from March 15, 2023, on YouTube under the title Professor Richard Wolf Silicon Valley Bank Bailout Crisis. You can hear this program again for free on TUC Radio's website, TUCradio.org. My name is Maria Gelarden. Thank you for listening.